You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Donald Brink is midway through a series called Creative Kin over on his podcast, Swell With My Soul. This week, he chats with board builder and pro surfer Derek Disney. Creating a you know, new dish that has this, all these different ingredients. and It's a lot like a surfboard, really, is putting all these ingredients into something or whatever. But lately, um, I've also been doing sculptures and stuff and been really excited about that because after building surfboards for a while and having this expectation of a function, you know, um, it's been really fun to use the same reduction practice but for something that's completely unfunctional and you can just make it however you want and without having to you know float at the end of the day or like you can find full episodes every tuesday on swell with my soul on spotify apple podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen in Today's podcast with Taylor Knox is sponsored by NVS Fins. I, I remember being in the shaping with Al, and one thing, once he said something to me once where I was like, kind of threw me off, really, because I was didn't expect him to say it. But he said, "I shape my surfboards around my fins," and I was like, wow, "That's an interesting comment." Like, you know, he was like, "It took me so many years to get the right set of fins." For my surfboards hmm. and I was like kind of like wow that shows how important fins are really you know? yeah you've heard from NVS owners Jamin and Leif here before some listeners at that time purchased fins one listener actually had NVS make them a custom template and that's the kind of service and benefit that you get from a small company well after lots of R&D Taylor Knox just released his own model with NVS you can order a set on surfnvs.com and you'll save 20% by using our promo code, which is the word podcast. Yeah, you think about like, God, man, I probably gave back some really good boards. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that I just had bad fins in. Totally. And that's, yeah, I love the foil of their fins. And I love how, like, I don't think a fin should flex until the top third of the fin. For mm-hmm. me, personally, that's what I like. Um, so I don't like flexy fins, really. But the spring in those fins and the, the hold in them is pretty insane. Yeah. Taylor's talking about the Apex series fins from NVS, which are made from G10, which is a high-pressure fiberglass laminate, a glass cloth soaked in epoxy and then heat cured. It's stronger than a normal fin layup, but most importantly, it's very thin, so it can yield a very fine foil with that really refined leading edge. So all Apex series fins, including Taylor Knox's, are 20% off with our promo code podcast on surfnvs.com. We'll hear more from Taylor about fins towards the end of this show, but until then, surfnvs.com, promo code podcast. I'm a little brat, kind of kid, climbing walls, running everywhere, uh, really hyper, very active. Totally energetic. 
Never walking, always running. Very focused nonetheless. He realized early on that he wanted to surf and this is what he was going to dedicate his life to. There's a couple of boogie boards floating around in the garage and I grabbed one, jumped in the water and I got these little tubes and that feeling made me want more. He was looking at the magazines and he thought, wow, what a life. I was looking in the magazines and I saw these pictures of Mark Richards and Shane Horan and this up-and-coming young kid from Santa Barbara named Tom Kern. He was supposed to be challenging them for their titles. And, and I thought, God, these guys get paid to go surfing. It's the best job in the world. And right then, I, I had this dream, and it never went away. That's the opening of Taylor Steele's 2002 film, Ark, a surf film biography featuring today's guest. Taylor Knox needs very little introduction, one of the most filmed and photographed surfers for two decades. He is best known for being the most accomplished power surfer of his generation. And that power, those frontside gouges, were the envy of everyone, from predecessors like Tom Carroll to contemporaries like Kelly Slater and on through today's tour competitors and power-based surfers like Connor Coffin. Yet, despite all of the reverence and accolade, and despite spending 20 years on tour, Taylor's competitive successes were inconsistent. He debuted at 24th on his rookie year, which was 1993, and then he finished 5th in 1995, then dropped to 35th in 1998 and fell off tour. He requalified in 2000 and finished a career best fourth place in 2001. A decade later, in 2011, he became the first 40 year old surfer to compete on the championship tour. Kelly Slater would be the next the following year. Knox also notably won the inaugural K2 Big Wave Challenge in 1998 for paddling into a 52-footer at Toto Santos, cementing his legacy for not only longevity, but also for well-roundedness. Those fluctuations in Taylor's rankings are a central theme throughout our conversation because they seem to be completely contradictory to how balanced and centered he is mentally and emotionally, and even how consistent his fitness and surfing has been uh, since the early 90s outside of a contest jersey. So I wanted to know Taylor better, and I really feel like uh, I accomplished that through this conversation. So my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Taylor Knox. So I'll start off by saying, when I was going into ninth grade, my mom took me school shopping, and <laughs> of that batch of clothing, I had two rusty shirts. One of them with Kalani Rob on the back, and the other one with you on the back. And those were my pride and joy going into my ninth grade year. Oh, that's classic, man. <laughs> yeah, the, those are good times in surfing. You know that that was kind of when it was all getting big, and all the companies are growing, and yeah, that was a that was a good time in life. You know, I enjoyed being 
going from being an amateur to signing, um, you know, like a pro contract with Rusty was kind of like a step in, a big step in the right direction. Do you remember being featured on the back of those t-shirts? <laughs> Sometimes I do. Yeah, I remember a couple of them. Um, it's funny to look back on that graphic design, you know, now when you look back and there's a lot of tribal tattoo stuff going on. Totally. And, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, it was definitely, you know, that early 90s, but uh, but it was cool. You know, it was very cool to be, like I said, when you felt like you're on a team with a bunch of really good surfers, it was, it was a good feeling. Do you have any of those shirts as relics that you can God. show your kids nowadays? I don't think so. Maybe my mom, because my mom's a saver and a hoarder. Is she? Totally. And she probably, I mean, she's got boxes and boxes of stuff that I tell her to throw away all the time. And she thinks my kids are going to want to see them. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah. It'd be good just to have. Yeah. As I a mean, relic. I'll have to go through the, the boxes someday. It'll be pretty funny. It'll probably holes in them. But. That's funny. Yeah. You're right, though. From a graphic design standpoint, I can't imagine now any of the brands putting the athlete themselves on the shirt. You know? Yeah, like, no. You only see that now with people that win world titles. You know? Like, they're, they'll make a t-shirt. Like You think so? Like, is there a Gabriel t-shirt or a John John's image on a shirt? I think Gobong did a shirt for Italo this year. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Stoked, yeah, and and, right. I, and I'm getting one of those shirts, and I'm stoked because I love Italo. So, do you really? Yeah, I think he's super cool. For, I mean, I don't know him really well, but like from what I do know of him, I think he's great for surfing. Why? Because he's fun. He makes it look like he's having fun. He's not just making it look like, but he's actually having a good time doing this and enjoying every step of the way. And he seems. It's um, got a nice lightheartedness to him, but you know he also focuses without being. Um, he doesn't seem rigid. He can win and focus without being too rigid. Why does that matter? Because I think it shows young kids that like, hey, you don't have to, you know, be super serious to win. You you know, you can have fun with this. And I I look at someone like Griffin, and I think he's got the same kind of attitude, which is. I love it. You know, it makes me want to go surf. It, make, it makes the, you know, they they always have big smiles on their face. And um, yeah, I dig that. Hmm. Yeah, I like that kind of demeanor. Um, it's interesting. You look at somebody like uh, Gabriel, who is like so dogged and persistent in his goal to get tens, win heats, win comps, win world titles. Doesn't look like he's actually having fun. He's doing it as a means to an end. His end goal is winning championships. And so the surfing is a means to an end. But I almost feel like what he's not realizing is that the fun thing that you're talking about translates to the judges' scores. Like there's something unique about surfing. This isn't true for swimming. This isn't true for even other baseball or whatever. But there's something unique about surfing where having fun and kind of not forcing something just free flowing jazz and dance is what surfing is. And Idolo's embracing that and him having fun is going to net him a world title. And so while Gabriel can try as hard as he wants, he almost undermines his own efforts by not having fun. Does yeah, that make sense? Or do you believe that? Sense. Yeah. I, I think he probably has fun, maybe more fun than we see, but okay. when he's at the contest, you know, he looks, he looks pretty serious and focused and he's, 
he's really aware. Um, I think on land he's a different guy, you know. I think he's he's not that way really. He seems pretty relaxed. I've stayed with him um, for a couple winters when I was riding for Rip Curl, and he's a pretty chill kid, you know. But you get him in the heat, and it's you know <laughs> there's ice in his veins, right? And he doesn't care who you are, you know, or where you're from. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I just think like maybe some people believe that they just can't win that way like the way you know be light a little bit more fun and lighthearted, like italo is and so it was cool to see that italo showed the world like hey man he might have been stressed it didn't really seem like it he just looked like he was charging and having fun with it and smiling slapping high fives to everybody after right. heats and you know um i definitely wasn't like that in my earlier career in earlier in my career and i wish i was yeah. Actually, I want to talk about that. It wasn't going to start the conversation there, but we might as well. Um, your nickname or your moniker was Bonehead? Yeah, that's a really funny story <laughs> and where that came from because that came from a guy that I used to surf with a lot who was, like, I think he was four-time U.S. champion, maybe, um, Mike Lambrizi. Yeah. And so we, we were good friends, and Mike even lived with me for a little bit. And we would wake up, you know, every day at five thirty, meet and surf and train and all this stuff. And and he was he's a great guy. He's he was really fun to be around. But that came from me coming to the beach one day and forgetting my wetsuit. So and then I'm like, really, like, there's a lot worse things than that. But I that 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 nickname really stuck. And then I think Akila Ipa really drove it in with the rest of the guys. And um, yeah, just kind of gain momentum from there but yeah after a point i was like wait a minute you're calling me a bonehead but i've done a lot more than you have in your career right (laughs) (laughs) well uh i think maybe the way that i interpreted it watching from afar was that uh you maybe never fully actualized your potential like there's all this world championship talk and you didn't win a title. And so, and it came down to decision making often in heats. Uh, right. For people who can't see right now, Taylor's nodding his head. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I, I completely so, agree. So, the bonehead thing is like, well, dude, you have all the talent in the world. Why aren't you winning world titles? And it comes down to decision making. What are your thoughts in hindsight? Oh, totally. I know exactly what it was. What um, was it? Is what I would what we study in the Keeley meditation, which is compartments. Um, I would second guess myself constantly. I was the worst or I'd beat myself up after a loss. And, you know, when if, if you're sitting out in the heat and you've got, okay, here comes a set and you've got priority and you're in your head going, oh, should I go on the first one? Should I go on the second one? Should I go on the third one? Should I wait? You know, that is just not a good place to be. You know, you're just doing circles in your head. And I would do that constantly. And I think it really had to come down to um, a lot of times coming to the beach and, you know, people saying like, oh, why'd you go on the second one? You should have waited for the third one. And, you know, and all those, and they mean well, they're not trying to be mean or anything, but it's like all that would just weigh on me and like drive me nuts. Like I just wanted to be too perfect, you know, and I just, and it, it was, it would totally be counterproductive. And so I was my own worst enemy with decision making. For how long? For 20 years? No, I wouldn't say at the end of my career. Um, I, I think at the end of my career, I was on tour because a lot of, I would have got off tour a lot 
sooner, but like getting on Rip Curl and then hanging out with my one of my best friends, Mick. And Mick made the fun the tour fun for me again, because you know a lot of my friends that I grew up with, the momentum guys, were getting off tour. You know, there was Kelly, of course, was still on, but you know he's like doing his thing, and his thing is busy and all over the joint, you know, and mine was kind of like more standard tour life, like come home and he'd be traveling so much. And, you know, I, I just couldn't, it was harder to connect with him. But with Mick, it was like, we were, we liked to train together. We liked to surf together. And it was just fun for me to be on tour with, with just for someone like that and to see him win his first world title and his second. And just being there with him along the way, I kind of like lost the, I fell in love with surfing again, not so much the competitive side again, but it was still fun to be there, you know, still like to have good heats and go out and get good waves at these events and show my surfing, but I I just was losing the competitive edge that you need, right. the ruthlessness of, like, you know, at all costs, you are going to, whether it means taking this guy out on interference or playing a shitty priority game with him. Those are sometimes things that you're going to have to do if you're going to want a world world title. Yeah. And I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, I couldn't do, I didn't like the way I felt afterwards. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I'm saying for me personally, I just did not want to play the game anymore. Right. Uh, that scenario that you just uh, illustrated where you're in your head, you have priority, there's three waves coming, you don't know which wave to go on. With the benefit of hindsight and meditation that you're talking about, what is the right thing to do in that scenario? Is is it almost irrelevant which wave you go on as long as you're committed to the act? Like, just go on the first wave and commit to the decision? What's the right strategy? Well, you know, that's, that's always... I mean, for me, I... You know, there'd be situations where I'd have priority and my coach would be like, why didn't you just sit on them? You know, like, why didn't you just stay out there? Why'd you catch that wave? And it it opened up the door for him to catch a wave too at the end, you know, like, and I was like, because man, that wave looks so fun. Like I gotta go, you know, I, I look at Sebastian's eat sometimes and I'm like, yeah. he had the same, you know, he has the same uh, virus, you know, he just gets so excited and just wants to surf that he sees waves as in, in a matter of like, this wave just looks so fun. I can't pass it up. It's not the, what you want to do if you're right. really a, that's a good, good comparison, competitor. by the way. I never thought about that. You know, yeah, just we can't help ourselves. You yeah. know, I'm definitely, there's no secret. I'm a way better surfer than a competitor. Right. You know, that's, that's the way I've always been. I don't think, I think competitive surfing was a means for me to like, do what I wanted to do my whole life, which was stay in the ocean. Right. So it was a way for me to make a living and I could be on tour and, and just kind of qualify. You know, I got to a point where I was like, I am not going to do what it needs what needs to be done to to be a world champ i kind of knew it you know i kind of felt like i didn't mind the training part or the traveling part or the surfing part but it was some of the other stuff that i was a little like i couldn't i couldn't sleep well at night you know mm. not that you like i never saw got certain guys like i never saw mick do anything shitty to anyone else you know like he still won three world titles right and um and then you saw some stuff that was pretty ruthless, and you're like, "Wow, okay, but he won a world title, and you know, that was the end, the end justifies goal. the means. Yeah, yeah, and justifies the means. Yeah. But the end for me will be, I don't know. Hopefully, in some 
way off distance in my late 80s that or 90s that I stopped surfing that would be the end you know that was it wasn't like the tour was the end for me it was just right it was just a chapter of my surfing life right <laughs> um talking about being in your head and getting in your own way during the competitive years if you realized that that was your problem then why weren't you able to rectify the problem like i'm i'm curious to have this conversation or want to have this conversation for kids who may be in a slump you know that are surfing competitively that understand exactly what you're talking about and they identify with it because they get in their own way too how do you correct course i feel like it, it almost gets worse once you recognize it it's almost harder to then correct what are what well, are you, strategies for me it wasn't yeah i mean that's you're right in that sense you can you just the snowball gets bigger right and the harder for me i was brought up to tr you know try hard try your hardest give it 110 percent. well that was what my coach like i was working with i think in the last couple few years of my tour life i was working a lot with chris gallagher and stuff and he'd be like dude can you just go 75 percent but it was so ingrained in me to always go 110 percent and then people would actually they would come up to me and they would like that about me. Like, dude, I love that you go 110%. I go, yeah, but sometimes that's not the best decision and I lose because of it. But it came, it almost came like a part of me. Like I had to do it because people liked it and it was an old habit I just couldn't break. You know, I don't think I broke, it was, I don't think I broke it until I was off tour. Really? Yeah, mm. I just couldn't do it. It was very frustrating because I knew what was going on and I still couldn't stop it. So it's kind of like if you watch someone and you're like, oh, they're just, they're going to do it again. Yep. I know they're going to do it again, you know, or even you maybe in the lineup, like you paddle out and you're like, I'm not going to get frustrated with this crowd today. Sure enough, you get frustrated. Well, you told yourself you weren't going to do it. Yep. But here you are frustrated again. Yep. <laughs> So what is that? And that's what I wanted to study with the meditation is what is driving us? That's not, obviously not, I don't believe that anyone is born a cellular killer, you know, or, uh, or abusive. They're, they were abused. So it's just, they're just, you know, passing on what they've learned. And that goes the same for compartments. I believe that um, you just get, it gets to be where you feel like this is who, this is part of Taylor Knox. When really it isn't. It was just something I took pride in. And I think there's a saying, what, pride before the fall? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I found out that statement's pretty damn true. It's one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> right. So, there you go. Yeah. Um, I find we'll always be the ones who get in our own way. You know, like there's people feel victimized in life. or like, oh, my boss doesn't want to promote me or whatever. It's like... Your boss wants you to perform. That is in their best interest. Your yeah. boss will never be the one subjugating you. Like right. you will always be the one who gets in your own way, you know? And if it isn't through bad habits, it's through pride. It's like, well, now you're successful and you feel proud about something. That'll also undercut you. So yeah, humility it, is key. It is. And there's a lot of times there's like a, there's a private war going on inside your head. And people, you don't even know it, you know, like you could look at someone and you, you would never know that what they're going, what's going through them inside, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things that 
I was looking to a second point, which let's just say you are primary point. I was looking outside of myself all the time to try to correct it through coaching or training harder or, you know, I don't know, this supplement or that supplement or, you know, techniques or belief systems when really I just needed to sit, be alone with my own thoughts. Because, I don't know, what could be more important than understanding your own thoughts? Yeah. I haven't and found what's anything more important. And what's motivating you and yeah, baggage that you're carrying that are making you feel that you need to be that guy who's going to deliver 110%. Yeah, we've all seen it, right? Like, we all have friends that get into the into bad relationships and we're like god they're doing it again you right. know like they're on their fourth bad one and yeah always ends bad for them somehow or some way and you're like hmm probably a little a pattern going on here that to check out it totally <laughs> yeah so tell me about the meditation um how did you discover it what is the meditation what are you practicing it's called keely meditation k-e-l-e-e -E. um and I got into it, this May will be 20 years ago. Pretty, wow. Yeah, so I teach it. Um, we've been, I just, we just taught it down at UCSD Medical School, which is, it's been a class in the med school down there for five years now, uh, being driven by Dr. Daniel Lee. He's the one that runs the class. And then we come down once a semester and speak. A Who's friend of mine, I'm with my friend Paul. Ron does, Ron teaches the doctors. And then my friend Paul, who, um, lives here in Carlsbad. He's a Carlsbad fireman. We go down and speak to the students on kind of just our experiences. But, um, and so, yeah, I, it was funny because I was a really anti-New Age guy, even though, like, I did yoga for 20 years. I did yoga like 12 years, be 15 years maybe before I met Ron. And, um, but I always thought, looked at yoga as just like a stretching class. I didn't feel it was very spiritual for me. And then I started to really plateau in the class, and um, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, like, some of the bigger egos that I've run into have been in yoga classes, so I didn't see much there, and a friend of mine, actually it was Brad Gerlach, suggested that I go and meet up with Ron, because I was going through a real hard time in my life, uh, not on the outside, but on the inside, I was just having a kid, and with someone that I wasn't sure if we were going to make it. And it was just tough. But no one really wants to hear that from a pro surfer. They're just like, dude, you got the life. Shut up. I'm like, We don't want to hear your problems, you know? Totally. And um, so for a year, I told him, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm not going. And finally, I was like, fuck it. Let's go. You know, I'll, I'll go see him. And I was expecting to see this guy and, um, you know, sitting there in lotus position with a shaved head and a red robe and... But he wasn't like that at all. He just wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt and sat me down and kind of explained what this 10-minute meditation was. And there was no weird chanting or anything going on. And, you know, I, was, I didn't want to change who I was. I just wanted to be a truer me because I knew there was more in me that I wasn't accessing. So I went, wow, this is cool. This is normal. Like, I don't have to change like that drastically and just make these... I just need to sit alone by myself for 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, write some notes down of what I was thinking, how I was working. Good. I'm good with that. Hmm. You know, I don't have to sit in positions for four hours and meditate. Like, right. That's impractical for me, you right. know? <laughs> so yeah, that's how it all, that's how it all started. Funny enough, you know, I was pretty resistant until I just was in a, a place where I was just was 
as unhappy as I've ever been. But, um, but if you looked on the outside, it was like, I should have been super happy. Well, it's weird is, um, when you get everything that you've desired and wanted, it doesn't affect your happiness, you know, like those things are all superficial as it turns out. What, how long were you, um, practicing until you started seeing benefit and what were the benefits? Well, for me and the place that I was in, when I saw him, um, it took a couple months, but, but I just, I don't know why I knew, I just knew it would work. Hmm. I just really felt like it was, and then I, I started thinking like, this is great because I don't need him. You know, he told me, hey, I, I may never see you again. And I was like, great, just teach me how to do this and be on your way. And I like that. I, I don't like when people are like, oh, you need, you need to come back and see me 20 more times. Like, I give me something that I can do on my own. Yeah. I think all the answers in life that you're looking for are already in you. You just haven't accessed them. Or you haven't gotten blocks out of the way. Right. And so you can live, like I said, a truer, truer you. Yeah. So what did you, what were the benefits that you started seeing uh, after those couple of months? Well, a lot of patience. Um, a lot more patience was coming to me. And a lot more clarity of like, you know, hey, in life and being a human, yes, you're going to have to make some hard decisions. That's just, you know, and sadness. I think that's also a part of being a human. And there's really not much you're in control of. So you thinking that I'm going to do A, B, and C, and I'm going to be in total control of the outcome of this situation. I mean, how many times have you planned out your week and by Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday have just gone to, you know, yeah. gone upside down? Right. So it's like, okay, well, you can plan as much as you can, but the only guarantee in this universe is change. And then I, you know, the one thing I think you can have control over is regrets. And if you are living a truer you, you, you don't make decisions that put yourself in a situation where you're going to regret it later, hmm. like reacting to someone's bad mood later on. You're like, oh man, I feel bad. You know, that I, I snapped at them, you know, or I reacted back with them. Right. And then that's a regret. And that's something that you're going to have to deal with not just them it's not i don't think it's about going to the other person all the time and i need to talk to them to work this out and you need to work it out within yourself right <laughs> so what is the practice can you explain keely meditation sure it's a it's about sitting in a comfortable position whatever it is um you know pr preferably with your spine straight you know not slouching or anything and it's about closing your eyes and feeling I it's I wouldn't it's definitely a feeling it's not a visualization but I'm gonna explain it to you now so you can kind of visualize it but it's like a horizontal line of energy just kind of going down through both hemispheres of the brain which in Keeley meditation is called the lesser Keeley and to the surface of the level of the mind which is kind of the meeting between the greater Keeley which would be I guess you were your when people say I had a gut feeling or in your heart area like it's kind of like when you see a good friend that you haven't seen for a long time and you really love that friend and you see him and you get that feeling that wells up from within you, you're like yeah man so good to see you mm -hmm. and and then you get cut off in traffic and notice that that feeling of being cut off in traffic is not coming from the same place as the feeling of seeing your good friend the one is welling up from within you and then people say like oh i had a gut feeling about that person probably should trust that that that's what we're trying to tap into more so as you come down through both hemispheres of the brain 
you kind of sit at the surface level of your mind for a couple minutes, kind of just um, feeling, feel the surface level of your mind, and then bring your awareness into one point. So it'd be kind of like if, if you were right, uh, right, like kind of where they say the third eye is, you okay. know, and then you kind of pull your awareness to a point and then drop down into kind of like your heart area and just stay there for um, a few minutes and just hopefully you won't have things. The, the goal is not to have things running through your head. Okay. It's be complete stillness, no thought, no focusing on breathing, nothing. You already know how to breathe. If you didn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> your body's totally good at it. <laughs> so, um, and then you come back and you kind of write down what you were feeling and what you felt and you, it gets a lot more complex the more you do it. You start to hmm. like, unravel the onion of you like you're an onion with layers and you start to go wow why am i thinking about that experience i had when i was eight like i didn't realize that it even affected me you know like you start to think about things and go wow wow that that huge fight that my parents got into when i was 13 i, I still like have that memory very vivid why do i you know and how did that affect me oh, i didn't realize it affected me and Kind of made me, you know, shy away from some thing from things. Or everyone's got a really unique path. You know, no one is the same. Right. No one. I could say something to you, and the next guy could say the exact same thing, and you might take it differently. Totally. Yeah. So, the ten minutes. It's about ten minutes, and the sitting, focusing on a single point, and not thinking about your breathing or anything else. You do that for about ten minutes. Yeah, five to seven minutes when you're down in your greater Keeley. Okay. Yeah, and he has an app that you can download. He'll his voice will run you through it. Gotcha. Yeah. What's the app called? Just it's just Keeley okay. on, on Apple, I guess. Okay. And then at the end of that time, you snap yourself out of it. You open your yeah, eyes, you just, you just, write down the notes. Yeah, just come back to it. consciousness and write down. I mean, you know, there might be some funny shit in there too. You know what I mean? Like, okay. You might be like. I don't know why I'm thinking about this today, but I just write it down anyway and just kind of laugh. And then you can go back in a couple months and go, wow, this was really on my mind like two months ago. And I've completely like got through it. Yeah. You know, I was really, you know, upset at work. And this person I was working with was really bothering me. And I didn't know if I was in it. And now I'm totally free of it. I've gotten past it. I know exactly what I want to do. Hmm. Or there might be a big decision coming up. Yeah. You know, like a new job or moving or something. You're like, God, I don't know what to do. And usually those kind of things for me happen when I'm doing basically mundane stuff, like driving or whatever. I'll be driving, listen to a song, whatever. And then all of a sudden it'll just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do in that situation now. Hmm. And I've been contemplating on it for like weeks. And now, you know, and then. Once you know what you want to do and the direction you want to go, you won't have a regret. Gotcha. Do you do it in the morning? I do it in the morning. Yeah, that works good for me. Okay. Because in the night, you know, sometimes you can nod off and start to go. You definitely don't want to be asleep. Right. <laughs> yeah. You want to prioritize it. I know a lot of people come and, and want to learn it because they don't sleep well. You know, they're, they're, there's that's like top three I would say of why people come interesting but, you know I lay my head down on the pillow man and I just can't stop thinking about what do I gotta do or what happened that day like 
I just I just want to sleep. You know, right. I just hear that all the time. I want to sleep better. Right. Uh, you said you've been doing it for how many years? Twenty. Twenty in May. So you were doing it when you were on tour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was doing it on tour, um, dedicatedly, like all the time, and I just didn't. You know, it's not something you never want to push it. You know what I mean? You yeah. Never, I would never want to push this on someone. I mean, hey, man, it's your journey. You live. In, I mean, first spiritual law, I, I believe, is non-interference. Hmm. Like, I don't want to be interfered with, so, yeah. like, I don't want to interfere with you. Right. Let's just have that mutual agreement. Right. Got it. Um, I want to talk about your transition off of tour. That's sure. a conversation that's been coming up a lot on the podcast uh, because not a lot of people do it gracefully, you know, and I feel like people hang on too long. And there's also a thing where it's like, if that's all that you know, like a lot of people... Um, maybe don't financially invest during those years where they're earning well on tour or they just don't develop any other skill sets. And so they get off tour and they don't really have a life plan and it's easy probably to go through depression or whatever, or even just transitioning into the mundane part of life where you have a relationship and you're home all the time rather than traveling all the time. Uh, What was that transition like for you? And also, would you do it any differently? Like if you look back now, did you do it gracefully? Would you have done it earlier? Would you have hung around later? No, I, I think it all happened really. I, at the time I was thinking that I wanted to get off earlier, you know, and now looking back on it, it would still enable like my, for me and my wife and my kids mm-hmm. to have some good experiences, you know? So that there was that benefit to it too. Um, so a little bit of travel and you know the kids got to meet a lot of the guys i was on tours on tour with and that was cool and the friendships we have that's what makes me think like i don't think of trophies i think of all my friends i met around the world like really really good friends that i've had out for over 20 years in brazil and in australia and south africa like man it's like how else would i have ever met these people no way it came from surfing you know Mm-hmm. And then to have them come and stay with us and be able to share that with them. And so, no, I, I feel like I got off tour pretty gracefully and, and only because I was doing the meditation. I, don't, I've, I think I would have had a much harder time for sure because you don't know. You're like, you, you start to go, well, my, this is my value because I'm being told from the industry, like, you're worth this when you're on tour or you're, you're not worth this because you're not on tour. Right. Like, why would you let someone else decide your worth? Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, you sacrifice a lot by traveling the world. Uh, obviously, relationships at home and all that sort of stuff. And you were doing it for 20 years? Yeah. Was that how long? So you sacrifice a lot for a very long period of time. Yeah. What was that transition like coming home? And do you feel... Do you have any re- regrets that would about be... being on tour for 20 years? And yeah, what you gave was... up? that was something that plagued me pretty hard on tour was when I was on tour, I would, that would, that would have hurt inside to call, you know, back home and hear what the kids are going through and not be there. That was, that was the hardest for sure for me, you know, like, and it, you can't really have that. I don't know if you do have that feeling, you've really got to be able to find a way to uh, be at peace with it because it can drive you crazy. You know, I know I saw, 
it drive a lot of guys crazy that were on tour that, you know, their wives or girlfriends back home were, hey, you know, I need help and you're not here. And, and that's all true, you know? I mean, that's, and for some, it was like it got to be too much and they would just quit abruptly and be gone, you know, even though they were easily good enough to stay on tour. Right. It was just be, it was just too much. Yeah. You know, and I think I found a balance in just by being like, okay, well, no matter what, there's bills that need to be paid and I'm going to have to work no matter if it's on here or off here. And I kind of looked at it like we're gone about the same amount of time as, um, an airline pilot, you know, and, or, you know, like, you know, I think firemen work 10 days a month, you know, and like we were close to all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of like went, okay, like I'm in that category of they're doing it. There's a lot thousands of people out there doing it. And I'm just one of those people that have that schedule. And when I'm home though, the cool thing was I was really home. I was home all day long. Right. You know, and then when I was gone, I was gone all day long. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you could have, would you have done anything differently? Could you have invested in relationships more? Do you have regrets about any of that stuff? No, no. I, I, I mean, there were, there was relationships along the way that were, it was all about the timing. It was seemed like the right, you know, time to have that relationship. But then, you know, obviously if you're not still with that person, it wasn't meant to be, Exactly. you know, something didn't work out. And, and there was, it was, like I said, it's more to do about you and working stuff out within yourself. Yeah. You know, it seems like now maybe more than in your era, people are bringing their wives and kids on tour. You yeah, don't, I don't remember seeing that a lot back then. No, I mean in the '80s, I don't think anyone did really. No. Yeah, and then and then like you saw a lot of it. Like Danny Wills would bring his kids on tour. You okay. know, he was one of the first guys. that just said, you know, I don't care how much money it costs. Fuck it. You know, I need to have them here. Otherwise, I'm not going to be here. I don't right. want to be here. So, and now you got, you know, tons of guys like Ace Buckin and Philippe, and you know, tons of guys will bring their. And Joe Parco traveled a ton with his kids. I mean, that's family. how we want. He won a world title with his family on tour with him. And I feel like it could go one of two ways. Like they could be a distraction. The family could be a distraction. You almost want to have a singular focus if you're going to win, in order to win a world title. Or if you have all of your comforts with you, you could perform at your best. Yeah. And it takes, you know, the other half of the relationship has to be okay with you know, standing, being by your side through it all, you right. know, it can, it looks really glorious, right? From the outside looking in, but there's, you got to remember, you got kids and you're in Spain and they're completely off on time and oh, sleeping. Yeah. And then you're like, you have a heat coming up and you need to get sleep. So you're not super tired. And, um, you know, and then they, they don't ever stop. They want to play all day and you, you're trying to like, okay, I'm, I need to surf and when I'm not in a heat, I need to go video, but then I need to hang with them, make sure they're okay. Like it's, you know, it's it's a balancing act. Yeah. Those are all things we don't see as viewers of it. No, no. It's, it's you know, different foods that they don't like and they're not used to. Yeah. It, there's all kinds of shit going on. Totally. Just regular <laughs> parenting stuff. That right. Gets... We're not tennis players. We're not like football. We don't have that kind of salaries where right. you're staying at the Ritz-Carlton everywhere and you with got chauffeurs. Nanny. Yeah, with a nanny. Like, right. that's not going on. Um, you talked about working with Chris Gallagher. When did you decide to, as a coach, when did you decide to bring on a coach and uh, why? Well, 
I kind of use coaches along the way. Like I would say when I was young, you know, there was like even Lambrizi helped coach me a lot because he was older and he was kind of just showing me the ropes because he was never going to go back on tour, never want to, but he wanted me to. So he would help out. Um, one of my earliest coaches uh, was, which was awesome, was Ben Ipa. Uh, I probably using him when I was like 15, 16. Um, and that was just, you know, that was great because he came from Hawaii, a different culture, you know, different lingo. And I got to meet a lot of really influential Hawaiians through him, like Sonny Garcia, and just and learning more about like, okay, those types of waves. And, you know, and Hawaii is a totally different kind of wave. It's more powerful, heavier water. And so he helped a lot. And then um, somebody who helped me a ton was Matt Griggs. When I got on Rip Curl, he was the pit boss there. And he actually made it really fun for me to stay on tour too. And taught me a lot of you know what he was actually teaching Mick too because that's when Mick won his first world title so right then I felt like reinvigorated like when I got second at Barra that year with Andy that was the year I was going to retire I was going to quit and then getting on like I said getting on Rip Curl and having Mick and Matt there it was like oh I'm refreshed again you know because I did spend a lot of time and years traveling by myself i would just travel alone stay by myself and i do like that a lot i don't mind it at all but it was a good it was good because i was so solo for so long to be kind of a part of a team because i really had never experienced that mm -hmm. on tour i mean we had our group the momentum guys but within our group you know we all had different sponsors so we weren't we had to do stuff for them but we weren't doing it together all the time right and that's what was so rad about Taylor's Steel and filming for those things because it was like we were a team that were battling for the best part, but we were still hanging out all the time. Right. So, and then after Taylor decided to move on to bigger and better things, um, which, which is a natural evolution, at the time I was bummed because I was like, God, he's what brought us together so many times or at least a couple times during the year. And um, so then I was solo for a while there. And then, like I said, transitioned on to Rip Rowan. Um, I'm sure each coach has their own strategy and kind of the way that they run their business. But what is the benefit in general? I mean, because the question, when you look at other sports, it makes sense that like this great athlete from a previous decade now coaches this upcoming athlete. But in surfing, lots of times it's a le lesser athlete coaching a superior athlete so <laughs> what is the benefit in surfing or why did you see it as beneficial well just their eye they're you know they're looking at it from the beach they're looking at they're not only looking at our surfing but they're looking at a bunch of other people surfing and they're kind of seeing things that like you can get so lost in your own thought and just focusing on your surfing all the time that you're not kind of looking around going, wow, I should take a piece from him and another piece from him. And, you know, there's there's stuff that you can add. And it's it's hard to add and start changing stuff while you're on tour. It can affect your results, you know? Yeah. And it definitely affected mine a couple of times. But, again, that's – I didn't start to be a surfer because I, like, I wanted to be a comp competition surfer. I started surfing because I love surfing. Like, I still love it just as much today. I love getting better. I like looking at technique. Uh, 
it just that's what makes it fun otherwise why am i here what am i doing this you know what i mean like i i will always love the ocean like but i can get in the ocean body surf i can get in the ocean a bunch of different ways right but for surfing it's like there's always something to figure out um so coach the coach provides like context and perspective that helps you understand the greater picture of where you fit into it yeah and you might be the kind of guy that like hey i like to take off and always go down and do a deep bottom turn you know and you know, Galley might go like, hey, why don't you stay, you know, stay up high in the beginning of the wave, then drop down and do, you know, he's looking at different angles and different timing for different stuff, or you can really get in a rut where you just kind of do your thing because yeah. you're good at it, you know? And he was like, let's mix it up here. Let's make, let's give them a different look. The judges want to see a different look from you. They get excited when you, when you, you know, you yeah. give them a different look. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, backtracking a little bit in the timeline but this i want to use this to enter a conversation about uh training and yoga and fitness and all that um tell me about your skateboard accident when you were a kid well that's a funny story like so the whole back thing of how my back got messed up was for years we thought it was from skateboarding because i was heavily into skateboarding when i was like in junior high like go find all this drain you know drainage ditches and I just loved skating. It was cool. Um, I probably skated more than I surfed up until seventh grade. And I fell on my ass really hard one day. And then after that, I started having this really bad side of pain going down my left leg. So we just all assumed that it was from that me falling down. But then later on in life, they were like, no. <laughs> the doctor was like, it literally, you would have to be in a plane crash to put your bone out this, this far. Like it was, you were born like that. Oh, okay. I had spondylolisthesis, and um, as at the worst grade, I was grade. He goes, so you'd be a grade five if we had five, but you're a grade four. Like wow, yeah. So I think as I grew, my bones just grew out, grew out, not and not they didn't they didn't grow in in line. Okay. So they had to go in there and you know put a bone graft and two screws and a metal bar and all that stuff still in me. Um, what age was that? 15. Okay. Yeah. And what was recovery like? And did you ever feel like you got to 100% healed? That's, I mean, that's just like, there was, they, he was like, you're going to be paralyzed within, I would say a, a couple months from the waist down. If you don't get surgery, like now. Really? Yeah. Holy cow. He's like, your sciatic nerve is getting cut in half. And I didn't at the time. I was. I just made the nationals for the first time in NSSA, and that was a huge goal of mine. And I struggled earlier in my career as an amateur. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was bad, man. I think my first year in the NSSA, I did ten contests, and I mean, this is back when you had to drive to Santa Cruz and Cayucas. You know, yeah. my parents would drive me everywhere. I made it through one heat in ten contests. Oh my gosh. And parents are just going, are you sure this is for you? You know, and the next year I did, I started to do a little better. And then the following year I made, I made the cut for the nationals. And then as soon as I made the cut, I went to the doctors because I couldn't get out of bed one day when I was trying to go to, I was going to go to school and I couldn't move. I just thought, oh, like go to the chiropractor and pop it back in, whatever. And that made it worse. Um, even though I'm a big believer in chiropractic, but, and I went to the doctor and got an x-ray and they're like, holy shit, like you are bad. 
this is bad. And I was like, well, can we just wait like a month until I, so I can surf the nationals? And the guy was like, no. And that was devastating. Wow. That really, and then he told me I was never going to surf again. He put me in a back brace from my chest to my knees. I had to wear 24 hours a day. Um, For how long? Nine months. Whoa. Like I had to sleep with it. I had to like sponge bath, like lay on one side, take off the top, sponge bath because I I wasn't allowed in the shower because he was like, if you slip in the shower, you'll be paralyzed. And it was a a nightmare. It was embarrassing. It was depressing. It was like I spent a lot of time in my room. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Not knowing if you'd ever get to do the things you love. No. And then I just, yeah, I just... I healed up pretty good because he was like, wow, six months. He's like, man, you're healed. Hmm. Go. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. So have you ever felt the effects of it since? Or do you feel hundred percent recovered after that? The funny thing is, is I have no pain where that surgery is. Okay. And that surgery is archaic. I mean, you look at the, they don't do surgeries like this. They stopped doing surgery like mine, like 15 years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Or 20 years ago. I mean, it's just like funny when doctors now look at my x-rays, they're like, wow, this is old stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> but you've always taken training seriously. Yeah. Was that the ins- Was that kind of the inspiration behind it or was it just part of your DNA? Part of my DNA. Okay. It makes it, you know, some, for some people they get to a point where they're like, I hate the gym. And for me, it was like, I still like working out. I still like to... Like either work out in the gym, do my exercise training stuff with the ball, um, or go swim, or go to yoga. I just mix it up now. Okay. I don't. I don't think there is one thing out there that is the end all for training, and it's constantly changing all the time. So that's cool. It's like surfing for me. It's like there's always something around the corner with fitness. Someone yeah. will invent something new, do something different, and you know. Um your regime is it the arc method is yeah that what we're calling it yeah how do you define the arc method the arc method is for i'm not saying i'm an expert in anything because i'm not i'm just saying like these are the things that have helped me in my career with my i mean because there's a lot of people i know with back pain or that have busted their ankle or have knee surgery or you know like there's tons and tons of surfers out there that deal with this as a and as they get older you know they're body gets a little bit more cranky it's and so i'm just like hey this is what's keeping me going with what i've dealt with you know a couple knee surgeries back surgery broken foot broken ankle like it's you know you can you can get past all this stuff and still like improve you don't it's not just like if you want to just stay where you're at and that's cool but if you don't then you know check this out so what is the method um the arc method well it is just like I said, it's about balance. It's not. It's a, it's not about being rigid. It's about balance. About finding your balance, and that's one thing I think for me is just trying to tell people out there like, if you're if you're getting to a place and it hurts, then don't do it. Don't let the ego drive you, because the ego isn't very aware and probably gonna make you could make yourself worse. And that is not what we're out here to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so does it incorporate meditation? Does it incorporate yoga? It incorporates some yoga poses for sure. Um, the meditation is a little bit separate. I mean, I want to incorporate my meditation stuff into ARC, but 
you know, it's kind of like one of those things where I don't want to push it on people and, you know, I don't want people to think it's like a woo-woo thing because it's not. And, um, you know, I, I kind of let people, I post out a little bit separately, you know, just to keep it, because it is separate. It's, you know, the body follows the mind. It'll always be that way. So as much as you want to spend time in the gym or whatever you think it is, like you should, you spend two hours at the gym, you probably spend, you, then you can afford to spend 10 minutes with your own thoughts. Mm. And I would say that 10 minutes with your own thoughts, it would go a lot long, a lot further than, you know, the two yeah. hours. I would cut out an hour of the gym. Right. <laughs> do you, does it incorporate uh, weight training? Sometimes I do like, yeah, weight stuff to where it's like stuff that's been around for years. And then some like, but then with my trainer, Paul, we're, we'll just, we made up like two new exercises the other day. Okay. You know, just trying stuff, you know, that's just fun. Hmm. There's so much good stuff out there. And I've been lucky enough to be close to guys like Tim Brown and Dana Bray and like guys that really know the body. And, you know, now I've kind of been looking into DNS, you know, with Mike Rintales. And, um, there's all this different stuff out there and it's all good. You know, it's all really good stuff. And you can't learn it all. There's the foundation training, that kind of stuff with Eric Goodman. And this stuff's all great. I can't, but I don't have time to master all this stuff. So right. I, I kind of like pick the eyes out of it. Okay. I like, you know, I like that from foundation. And I like that from DNS. And I like the way that old school weightlifters did that, you know? And so I'm constantly like tweaking it all yeah. the time. Right. Uh, where does diet fit into this or like what is your kind of philosophy on diet what do you eat on the daily how does alcohol fit into this and what are your thoughts or policy on drugs hmm. well diet you know it's it's a big thing it's definitely something to pay attention to um like are you I said, rigid no okay now i used to be you know it was like did this in the morning i i what i like to start my day with is this um nanocraft CBD company makes this green mix. It's like, you know, one of those vegetable green mixes, but they put CBD in it. Okay. So that's kind of what I put in my body first thing in the morning. Because then I know I'm going to get to my coffee machine. <laughs> um, so I like to wake my stomach up. You know, I just don't want to put coffee down there first thing in the morning. It doesn't really work for me. Okay. Um, bullet coffee. I've kind of been into that lately. Been trying bullet coffees. The bulletproof, like with the yeah. butter? Yeah, the coconut butter oil. and the coconut oil. Okay. Um, what does that, that do? What does that do for you? It's just kind of, I think, it's a way to, like, you can have dinner. Let's say you have dinner at seven o'clock the night before. You get up in the morning instead of having a breakfast, you can have the bullet coffee, and it can kind of keep you going until about lunch. So, I hate eating before I surf in the morning. I don't like having, you know. So I normally just have the green or it's green stuff, a bullet coffee, go surf. And then I'll have lunch, you know, some good protein. I think your body just, you know, you got to think of like greens are always good, right? Your body needs protein. How are you going to get that? Um, it, it stuff is common sense. You really don't need to be a scientist you right. know, to figure this stuff out. Well, and your body will tell you. Yeah, your body tells you. I mean, I don't eat a lot of red meat, but there are definitely, it hits me sometimes where I'm like, I want a steak. Yeah. And it's probably like two or three times a month. That's good. I'm good. I just listen to it. I don't like, I'm not like, oh, I can't have that. No way. If my body is like, wants it and I can feel it inside. And, but if I'm like, 
it can be a little sneaky sometimes. You're like, yeah, it wants to eat the whole box of cookies. Well, that's probably right. not the best that's a, idea. That's a craving. Yeah, that's, that's a definitely. craving. That's, you, gotta, you have to recognize the differences. Totally. <laughs> but even with, and with the red meat too, like uh, if I do it 10 times a month as opposed to your two or three, I feel lethargic. And it, I'm, it's not serving me. But if I'm not attuned... I'll just keep doing it 10 times a month because it's convenient and it's easy. And I was at Costco and they had a steak there and you start making those kind of decisions um, subconsciously, you know, or, or out of habit. Right. Or based on money, like, oh, I bought this, so I, I right. have to eat it. Totally. You know, I bought this three pound steak and I've only, you know, there's two pounds left. And right. I don't want to throw it out, you know. Totally. That kind of thing. So you, you need to be a good shopper. Right. You know, and I think it's it's just the balance of like, I don't eat a ton of fruit. But I eat a ton of like greens and protein. Yeah, I don't know why my body doesn't crave it all. Doesn't crave fruit a lot, but I like fruit. Yeah, <laughs> and in the mornings I'm usually if I eat anything, it's like eggs, avocado toast, or oatmeal. Okay, it's kind of like those two things. I'm not a real um, I'm kind of a picky eater. Like I have my certain things, and I can eat them over and over again, and I'm totally happy. Funny. <laughs> Uh, what about alcohol? Uh, yeah, I drink. Um, you know, like I don't. I love beer. I don't drink as much of it as I as as I used to. Like when I started Saint Archer, we started Saint Archer. Um, you know, we've we've started Harlan now, and the beers are so good. But I just find like a really good IPA, one or two, and I'm done. You know, that's I'm good for that. Yeah, uh, kind of like the hard seltzers. You know, like mm-hmm. the Ashland we just started. Just feels lighter and uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's always about like, how do you feel after it, you know, or how do you feel in the morning? Like, and yeah, I, I definitely have cut down on drinking, I would say like, I don't know, 60, 70%. Really? Yeah. Just because it's just a little bit's fine. You know, it's easy to get carried away because you're like, oh man, this is so exciting you know, we've got the company and I got friends over and, you know, you just keep the ball rolling sometimes, you know, your buddy comes over and you're just watching a game and you have all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm five deep right now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to do. Yeah. Um, Moderation, right? We, we were just asking about diet and dude, all this stuff. There's one word for it all. It's just moderation. Or balance, like you're talking about with ARC. Yeah. Like it come honestly... This comes up in my life repeatedly. I've had to learn this lesson 1,000 times, and I'll have to learn it 1,000 times more. And it's that balance is where I want to be. Yeah, totally. I mean, I still struggle. I mean, my kryptonite um, with food and that I can't seem to, I don't know if I could ever quit, is chips and salsa. Really? Totally my kryptonite. Like, I overeat chips and salsa, for sure. It's like a joke in this house. Like, I started buying, it's pretty funny. I found this crazy hot salsa and I bought it. Now I buy it because it's self-regulating. I can only eat so much and I can't eat anymore. Because it's too hot. Because I have no self-control. That's so hilarious. I, until I get past that compartment I have there. Dude, you're, <laughs> you're going to build up a tolerance to the heat. <laughs> I don't know. This stuff's pretty damn hot. Um, what about drugs? Uh, and, what kind oh, of drugs? Okay, so let's classify pharmaceuticals and then also... Uh, plant-based like marijuana mushrooms stuff that's in um like psychedelics sure 
Right. Stuff that's being talked about now that people are actually using medicinally, mm-hmm. but were previously either illegal or certainly stigmatized. Yeah. Do you ha- do you uh, participate? Do you have any benefit? Are there benefits associated with it? Do you have thoughts in general? Well, I, you know, I don't want to go on too big of a rant with this whole pharmaceutical thing, but um, I've had people really close to me getting addicted to them, and you know, just throwing their lives in the tailspins and losing people to them. Um, I'm a, I'm pretty anti-pharmaceutical drugs. I'm sure people will say that, well, you know, they saved, they've saved my life and whatever. But these, this ec- epidemic right now of the oxycotton's and uh, fentanyl and all this shit that's out there, that they're giving people for, you know, simple back pain. You know, like my son blowing his back out just training too hard and doing jujitsu, and he went to. The hospital and they gave him oxycotton i was like are you fucking kidding me you gave my son oxycotton are you for a backache like it's unbelievable man it's criminal what they're doing well they're being prosecuted right now for it criminally they should be yeah you know because i you know i mean we lost you know andy got into that stuff and you know it looked it wasn't good it yeah. wasn't good for a lot of people and and i've seen it take people down and it bums me out a lot um, that our country hasn't taken a more firm stand and just stopped it. I mean, what is the point? You know, like, but again, you know, it is a greed based world and it's money. Everything is money driven. Yep. So until well, that pe- that family that I'm talking about that they prosecuted, I forget. I know their name well because I hear it all the time, but it's escaping me right now. But the amount of money that they made off of it and then the amount of money that they were spending in uh, lobbyists lobbying Congress to get all these legislations passed to prevent them from being held accountable basically right. for this is insane. It's insane. And the the pharmacists who were prescribing it had, you know, 24 hour a day pharmacies open with people in line that they were just basically, it was a full on drug sales operation and they're selling overselling somebody's prescription and then they're selling that stuff on the street for $40 a pill, $50 a pill and it's essentially the same thing as heroin, you know, it's an opiate. Uh, it's it's the same exact thing as heroin. And yeah. if you, you know, get cut off from it, you go get heroin. Yeah. You know, I mean so that's my take on the pharmaceutical side. It's it's a real big huge like elephant problem on this in this country and it man i hope we we smart i hope smart people make good decisions in the in the white house someday you know it's kind of why i want to have the conversation though is to um stigmatize it like to stigmatize the use there's for some reason it's okay in our society to prescribe drugs to treat whatever your ailment is with a prescription drug as the first course of action and i think we need to almost stigmatize that first course of action like well pharmaceutical drugs serve a purpose at times but also there's a lot of things that could be solved or corrected without that if you take just basic diet and exercise let's start there go outside for a walk you know things like that that people just aren't doing in their daily lives that I think they'd see a lot of benefit from and then consider pharmaceuticals down the line, you know, depending on what the ailment is. Right. And, and like my mentor Ron says, you know, the, the problem is that 
when we were kids and before cell phones and internet and all this stuff, you would go outside and escape into nature yeah. as a kid. And now people escape into a phone. <laughs> it's a big difference. It is a huge difference. And it's the phone that's algorithms are set to keep feeding you things basically outrage outrage gets the most clicks so the phone the algorithm is just kicking you stuff in your little echo chamber making you more kind of enraged feeding into your own biases already right it's an unhealthy yeah like i said this guy paul that i that a friend of mine that i you know do the keely with uh, he had a really good point the other day. He goes, you know, it used to be that sex sells, and now it seems like hate sells. Yeah. And people like are so full of fear. There's so much to fear out there. You know, coronavirus, fear it. You know, like totally. economy, fear it. Like there's just selling, like boxes and boxes of fear yeah. to everyone, and people are buying into it. Totally. You know, oh, you're gonna get cancer. Oh, we're gonna economy's gonna crash and. You're going to get coronavirus. I mean, it's just like, Jesus, do we not have enough to worry about on a daily basis without them piling on all this other fear? Right. It has to be a reason for it. I would say it's there's some sort of control there, um, maybe on the government's part or something that, you know, it can, it can control the masses and can direct them. Yeah. Um, there's a book I read. I think it was called Stealing Fire. That's a pretty good book about, mm. you know, and it talks about, they talk about, controlling society through diet like we can we can get people to move more towards carbs if we want or we can get people to move more towards sugar if we want and you know people have don't even know what's going on no they have no idea that they're subject they're to being directed influence. totally yeah crazy so then uh the other you know style of drugs the more natural ones like you know weed or mushrooms yeah, I, I, I would say this. I'm really happy that it's legal. It should have always been legal. I, I think it's ridiculous that, it, it, you know, people, I think about people that spent years and years in jail for for weed. And now it's totally legal. You walk around smoking a joint. And, yeah. God, those poor people, you know, like, bye. It's crazy. Decades of their lives, you know. So, I, you know, again, it's going to have, you're going to have to be, you know, be able to regulate yourself. Yeah, you know, and I don't think it's a good thing for young people. Like, I don't know. It, could, it seems that if there are some underlying issues going on already, it can enhance it or take people down further down that track. Right. Yeah, sure. Maybe if you're a really good, well balanced per- person with, you know, grew up in a loving household, that you know you can just breeze through it and doesn't affect you and. And I know people that have been doing it their whole lives. And when they do it, they smoke weed, they get really creative and motivated. And then, you know, I've seen it to where it's make, made people sit on the couch, turn into couch potatoes. So there's, you know, there's a regulation there and it's always uh, goes back to you, right? The mushroom thing, I think there's definitely some benefits into not only the psychedelic mushrooms, but just some other mushrooms. I have a friend that has been kind of experimenting with different ones and like made up his own formula and he's going to bring some over for me to try and he said it's it's like he got off coffee he's stimulated he's focused um you know he's a neuroscientist so he's he's really geeked out on that stuff and i don't understand really what he's doing but yeah i want to try it interesting yeah i definitely want to you know anything that is natural 
I mean, you know, it, it could be a good thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally interested in that stuff too as we learn more about it, as we've like studied it and measured it and it's, you know, the dosing is predictable and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm totally open to find out what we don't are what we don't know yet and that we can still learn about all that stuff. You know, you take a group of stoners or people that are stoned and you take a group over here that have been doing shots of whiskey all night. Which group is probably going to end up in a fight? I think or, we all know. Right? Or committing any crime. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Petty theft, breaking a window when they <laughs> walk home, any of it. It's just, you know, one kind of for some reason can stimulate aggression and the other one usually doesn't. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, who's Chris Borst? Chris Borst is is my shaper. Um, I've met him, God, long, long time ago. I mean, I was aware of him when I was an amateur because... A f- friend of mine who owns Carlsbad Pipelines, he would, we would, uh, and this is back when I, Chris Miller was probably like early 20s. Chris Miller, you know, he's Chris Miller, the skater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and Chris was just starting off on his insane skating career, and but he loved surfing. He would come down and surf with Whit and I, and he, um, he was bringing around these boards, the Boris boards. And I was like, well, and then Wit started carrying them in the shop. And and then I think Chris worked at Rusty for 10 years. I had already moved on from Rusty to Almeric. And then Chris started working as the like head designer at CI for 10 years, just kind of doing the models, but not really shaping for anyone. And one day I go, you know what? Like you're this insane shaper, but no one gets boards off you. They, you just design. And I was like, hey, man, will you shape me a bo- couple boards? Like, I want to start getting boards shaped by you. And he's, yeah, sure. And this is after Al left. And I started getting boards by him, and they worked so good. I was like, wow, these are insane. He started surfing better. And and so he got to a point where he was like, you know what? I want to, you know, leave CI, and I want to do my get back to doing my own label. And at that time, he'd been shaping my boards for almost six, seven years. And I was like, well, I mean, if you're leaving, I want to leave with you, <laughs> you know, because you're who I want to work with the most. Hmm. And it was a hard decision because, you know, being at CI for 20 years, it was it was like family. Yeah. You know? But then there was like, you know, Kelly was leaving, Rob was left, um, Trav Lee left with Kelly. And, you know, those are like my boys, you know, and. Still had a lot of boys up there that still work there. I love them to death, and I always love Channel Islands. But uh, it was time for me to kind of move on with Chris because I felt like he had that mind that I hadn't sensed since working with Al. Hmm. Like a really technical mind that sees things that I don't. I can give him information like, hey, this board's a little sticky off the bottom, and I feel like it's the water's coming off the rail a little weird right here, and he can just kind of... Al could just fix it, you know. He didn't tell me really what it was, how to fix it, how he do it. Whereas Chris would like kind of explain what he was doing. We have a funny nickname for him. We call him Rain Man because he's just one of these brilliant minds. He just came over yesterday and he engineered this new piece of for his shaping machine. And he was like, "Well, the you know what it comes with isn't good enough. Like it could be better." So he just uh, designed his own stuff. Amazing. Yeah. So I like guys like that. I like guys that just are geeked out in what they do and have like a, a really good passion. Yeah. You know, not just someone like, 
oh yeah, I shape and this is what I do. And I just, I just kind of do this, you know? Right. <laughs> do, um, are you mainly riding high performance thrusters? Pretty much, but I've kind of gotten really into the twin fin thing a little bit. Have you? Yeah, he made me a couple, and I'm like, wow, these are really fun, you know? Like, I think on tour, you just go, I have to ride a thruster because they're not going to judge me if I go out there on a twin fin. And Kelly's been a big, you know, getting on those Aquila IPA boards and ripping. I think people need to get past uh, the point of, like, what is the board? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, well, if he's riding a twin fin, he's just joking around or not taking it serious. Right. Just judge the surfing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about the what's on the bottom of the surfboard. Like, is he ripping or not? Yeah. <laughs> um, which style of twin fin are you riding? Like an actual fish? No, it's, it's it, yeah, it's a twin fin with the wider nose and it's pulled in in the tail with the little swallow tail. Okay. And, um, yeah, right now I've... I've got a little bit of, I guess you'd call it a two plus one. And I'm working on, we're trying to work on the outline stuff to to kind of take away the one, make it a yeah. true twin fin. I've had a hard time with that little fin in the back. It just gives me a little bit more hold. Yeah. And I kind of, so I'm still working out if we can get that hold without that back there, but we'll see. I feel like two plus one traditionally referred to like a long board that has one large center <laughs> fin and the two small side fins. So for what you're talking about, you almost need to, like it's a one plus two or something. Yeah, it's something you like know? that. You know? Twin with a trailer or something. Yeah, twin with a little trailer, but not that a little, little guitar, guitar pick. Right. No, it, this is like a, it's bigger than that. Gotcha. But gotcha. I I love the speed of them. It's, it feels different than the thruster, you know, like, and then you look like the Bonzer thing and that, that's a whole different feeling too. Yeah. Right? But all of them work. Right. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, this isn't just like. These aren't just retro boards that you got to cruise on. You can rip on these things. Right. I don't want to just cruise all the time. What does your travel schedule look like nowadays? How often do you go on surf trips? Um, you know, this year I got a bit of a travel. I mean, you know, obviously it feels good not to be traveling nine months of the year. Yeah. You know, especially with a family. But I got some decent, like, fun trips coming up. You know, I'm thinking of going to South America to you know maybe down to i always kind of do one trip to to selena cruz you know summer usually and just because my buddy bugs down there and like hanging out with him and and tom and um so we're probably gonna do i'm gonna go to cabo uh reef is sponsoring the softboard event there um that stab's doing yep and that's gonna be fun and i'm gonna go to australia with matt griggs we're gonna do a um keely retreat and then I'll probably spend a few days, you know, go see Mick or whoever, just kind of cruise around. And then uh, I've got Nicaragua in September, another Keeley trip with Matt, and a Maldives boat trip in August, which will be another Keeley trip with Matt. And uh, possibly, I don't know yet if it's confirmed, but maybe the Maldives Four Seasons event mm-hmm. with uh, the guys. So we'll see. That looks like an epic event. It is. It's really fun, man. It's it's like, I mean, I'd never be able to afford to stay at a place like that. So it's awesome to get to experience it. Totally. And the waves are good, and the crew looks amazing, and the event looks fun, too. Oh, yeah. They make so. it so fun for you. You know, every night after the event's only three hours a day, so they're like, Crazy. and then cocktail, you know, come for cocktails, and then you guys can just do whatever you want to do, you know? Right. Um. You ever think about getting into coaching? 
Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about it. I mean, I've thought about like, you know, and I have been coaching a little bit, some local kids around here just for fun. I mean, just kind of help them out. And yeah, it's, it has crossed my mind and I would like to, I do love helping out kids. You know, it's really fun and to see that kind of where they're at because it just brings back so many memories. I remember being there, you know, I remember wanting it that bad or, and you can kind of see the special ones that are going to like go the effort, extra effort to make it happen. And then there's kids that just want to get better at surfing, which is cool too. You know, they don't have any aspirations to be on tour or anything, but just, I like to coach people that love surfing, you know, that are super into it. And I don't care if they're like 60, like six year old, he wants to get better and he's going to like do whatever it takes. And he, that's his passion. Do you ever, could you ever imagine yourself doing it on the world tour level? Um, I mean, I know I could do it. It's just that kind of, I don't, uh, you're on tour again. <laughs> you know totally. what I mean? Like, and maybe a couple events, but I, I don't think I'd want to be on tour all year. I mean, no one's asked me, so we'll see. Right. I mean, they're not asking you cause you're not selling it, but yeah. I feel like you'd be such the perfect person, especially, I mean, again, meditation, fitness, your life experience alone, like you'd be a perfect candidate. Yeah. It'd be fun to do like one, maybe one event and just check it out, see what it's like. And, you know, maybe hang out with some fun people like Griff or, um, Ethan Ewing or whatever, you know, just guys that like, look like they're having a good time on tour, you know? Yeah. Uh, final question. What was the last surfboard that you rode? The last surfboard I rode was um, a new board, um, a model called the Trunk that Chris just developed. And it's got this like wide, and I've never had owned a board like this in my whole life. It's one of those wider nose thrusters, kind of pulled into the tail. And, you know, that's been the craze in the last few years, you know, that real wide nose. So I posted a clip today of, of, from away from that board and, it's interesting. It's cool. You know, it made, like I said, I need to be less rigid. Mm-hmm. I need to be more open-minded. And I've never, you know, he was like, come on, write it. And I was like, I don't know about that. I don't like those boards are for me. And, but then again, I never tried them. So, you know, like yeah. that was a lie. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I was me saying that they're not for me. is just like, I was like, yeah, you just go and try it. And then I ended up having a lot of fun on it. I saw that post. Yeah. Um, so the idea for listeners is uh, the reason why I would use a board like that is because I'm less fit than ever and my surfing is degrading. And so I need the more foam up there just to help me out firstly to catch waves secondly for stability. But in your caption, you were saying that it's actually great for when the waves are not as good. Like if the wave is not high performance and fatter, yeah, that wider planing surface also helps. Yeah. And for me, surfing is like speed. It's all about speed. Totally. For me. And like, when I lose speed, like, I'll know I've lost it, right? So, and sometimes you can get a little bit bored when the waves are mushy. And I notice that sometimes when the waves are like waist high and mushy, I get a little bit uninterested. Yep. And so this is cool. It's like, okay, wow, I can kind of like fly on this like wider nose board over these mushy sections. And, you know, as I'm looking on Instagram at everyone getting barreled in Morocco or Indo. And I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm just bummed that I'm not there. You know, I got to make, I got to make what I have fun. Yeah. You know, like 
you just if life hands you lemons you got to make that lemonade right yeah, so totally. these boards help you make that lemonade glad to see you expanding your horizons <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait for the twin fin i'm yeah. excited about that all right well this was a great chat thanks cool. thanks david put Taylor's signature film made by Taylor Steele arc in its entirety on surfsplendorpodcast.com. It is required viewing for anyone who is riding a thruster. I've also posted a short clip of it on Instagram at surfsplendor where you can follow and share this show with friends. I'd encourage you to do that. Helping this show grow uh, helps ensure that we continue to get amazing A-list guests like Taylor Knox. So on surfsplendorpodcast.com, I've also posted a link to Taylor's Arc Fins by NVS. That's Naked Viking Surf. Kelly got really into fins a lot. And then in the last several years, I did. And I, when I got the new Viking, Naked Viking Fins, I was like, okay, you know, I, I remember they, they gave them to me and they're black. And I was like, God, these have such good flex pattern. And it reminded me of like when i used to ride and this is back when i made the movie arc i was riding that fin system called red x um, i don't remember that yeah it was, a, it was a fin system it was it had a you actually went through the board so you screw it up through the top it was a little funky in that way but the way when the fins were in they were so solid but i had some sets of fins that were made from g10 material and i remember like going these are the best like these are some of the best boards I've ever had, and they always had G10 material in it, which is a really stiff material. And so I started working with um, Jamin and Leif, you know, a couple months ago, and they're so passionate about it. Again, I like people like that, that are yeah. geeked out about it, like my shaper. And they started making me some fins, and I was like, God, I can feel a good difference with these, like a spring out of my turns. And so, yeah, we just finished up my, um, my new model, a, fin, a new fin that we came out with which will have arc on it arc method logo oh, okay. on it in fact he was going to come over right now and i was like no don't come over i gotta do it i'm doing a podcast oh that's funny <laughs> yeah surfnvs.com promo code podcast will save you 20 percent off all apex series fins made from g10 fiberglass including taylor knox's arc thrusters i rode a set of apex series thrusters on a more open face right point recently and really recognized the speed and sharpness in the transitions mainly from turns off the bottom into top turns there's just never any release of the speed a real continual kind of springiness out of the turn that really benefited me through transitions that i normally don't feel so there's no question about the benefit once you get on a set surfnvs.com promo code podcast for 20 percent off enjoy that and i know we're in the midst of this really crazy time of government shutdown travel bans quarantine due to covid19 
but I have episodes in the can, so I will charge through with plenty of quarantine content for the next couple of months, um, thanks to a recent trip that I did to Kauai. So I'm going to start that Kauai series next week and include guests Jeff Hackman, Dustin Barca, Billy Hamilton, Terry Chung, who is in his 60s and just back from Nazare with Laird Hamilton for that massive swell. All of these guys um, really opened up, offered epic stories about their lives, and then insights into health, fitness, and surfing well beyond middle age. I'm really proud of these episodes. So I'll kick off that series next Wednesday. And until then, I'll be back on The Grit with Chas Smith on Friday, and then Scott and I published an episode of Spit on Tuesday, so you can go grab that right now. And uh, that's it. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Stay six feet away from everyone for the next two weeks so that we can reopen the beaches, resume normal life ASAP, and shred once again. Be well.